It feels like yesterday that we just sat together and shared ideas about the Parsha. Hello, everybody. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with the Practical Parsha podcast. I hope you are well, and we are back for another great episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please share, subscribe, rate, and um, help us spread the word. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or just would like to say hello, please don't hesitate to send me an email at K at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. This week's Parsha is Parshas Vayishlach. And just to give a quick overview of all the different details and storylines of this week's Parsha, the Parsha begins as a continuation from last week. We mentioned in the last episode of the Practical Parsha podcast how Jacob seemingly steals the blessings from his brother Esau, Esau and has to flee his brother's wrath. Now, 34 years later, he's left the house of Laban, his father-in-law's house, and Jacob's informed that his brother Esau still has hatred in his heart for Yaakov. He still wants to kill Jacob. Yaakov is told that Esau is on the way to kill him with 400 men to wage a war with Yaakov Avinu, with Jacob. Yaakov prepares with three different methods, as we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast. He prays. He sends a tribute, gifts. And as a last resort, he prepares for war. In the middle of this episode, the Torah relates to us the battle that Yaakov has with an angel. And the commentaries explain that this angel is the guardian angel of the nation of Esau. And Yaakov and the angel struggle throughout the night, seeing that he cannot overcome Yaakov. The angel hits Jacob in his thigh and subsequently injures him. But before he leaves, Yaakov forces the malach, the angel, to bless him, and he goes on his way. Thus, the Jewish people are commanded in this week's Parsha to not partake in this Gid Hanoshe, which is known as the sciatic nerve of any kosher animal. The brothers meet, and Esav embraces his brother. Esav is moved by the gifts and the sight of Jacob and his family. They reconcile. Yaakov has to extricate himself of the situation where his brother wants to stay together with him. And seeing how it can be a bad influence on him and his family, Yaakov has to separate from his brother. After separating from his brother, Yaakov settles in the city of Shechem. The Torah tells us the story of how Dina, the daughter of Yaakov, is abducted and raped by Hamor, the son of the ruler of Shechem. Shimon and Levi, the sons of Yaakov, wanting to avenge their sister's violation, devise a plan to rescue her and carry it out to get their sister back. The Parsha concludes with the birth of Binyamin and the subsequent death of his mother, Rachel, Rachel, as well as the genealogy of Yaakov and Esau. The first lesson which I wanted to share 
focuses on the first verse of this week's parsha. The Torah says, "Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim Lefanav El Esav Achiv Artzaseir Steyadim." Then Jacob sent angels ahead of him to Esau, his brother, to the land of Seir, the field of Edom. Vayitzav osam lemor, he charged them saying, Ko somrun ladoni leesav, ko amar avdecha Yaakov, im lovon garti veechar ad ata. Thus shall you say to my lord, to Esav, so said your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Lavan, and I have lingered until now. And the question that's asked is that when Yaakov, Jacob, is sending a message to Esau, his brother, why is it necessary for him to tell Esau that he has lived with Lavan, his father-in-law, the wicked Lavan? Why is that part of the, of the conversation, part of the messaging that Yaakov is trying to tell his brother Esau? It doesn't seem to fit in. And if you look at Rashi, he explains as follows. Rashi says that the word garti, dwelled, which Yaakov uses to tell us that he lived with Lavan, he stayed with him, is bigematria taryag, has the same numerical value as six. 113. Kilomar, that tells us, Im Lavan Harosha Garti, with Lavan the wicked I lived, Vitaryag Mitzvo Shamarti, and I still kept all 613 mitzvos. That's brought down the 613 mitzvos in the Torah, and he still kept them all, even though he lived with this wicked person. And I didn't learn from his evil ways. That even though Yaakov was trying to make peace with Esau, he was trying to send him gifts, as we'll describe, and he did not want to battle with him. He wanted to reconcile. At the same time, Yaakov Avinu was giving a subliminal message to Esau. He was telling him is that if you don't want to make peace with me, just know I lived with Lavan, the wicked Lavan, who was a trickster and who would do evil things and he was an idol worshiper. And I didn't waver in my commitment to Hashem, in my commitment to God. I'm still a tzaddik. And be careful, don't start up with me. That was the message that Yaakov Avinu, that Jacob was trying to tell his brother Esau. Rabbi Hanan Wasserman brings down a beautiful thought on this Pasuk. He says in the name of the Chavetz Chaim that when Yaakov Avinu lived in the house of Lavan and would see Lavan doing evil things as what happens when you live with an evil person, he would ask himself, am I doing the mitzvos with as much zeal and as much, and, and, and as much enthusiasm as Lavan is doing evil? That when Lavan does bad, he does it with such zest and such encouragement. Am I doing the mitzvos on such a level? And he would use that as an impetus to improve himself in his mitzvah observances that his enthusiasm and his attitude for mitzvos would be on the same level and more than how Lavan was doing his sins, his averos. 
And the first thing, this is really such a deep idea, it brings to mind a story, a personal story, that really brings out this idea. When I was in high school, I was in a yeshiva in Queens. And the dormitory and the school building were two different buildings. So every day after classes at about 6 o'clock, it was supper time, all the guys from the high school would pack onto vans and they would take us a 15-minute drive to the dormitory, which is in Kew Garden Hills, where we would eat supper. We would, you know, that's where we would sleep. That's where we would hang out. That's where we'd be for the rest of the night. And every day we would do this. And the yeshiva, what they would do for supper is that every day of the week, we would get food from a different restaurant. Monday was shawarma. Tuesday was from one restaurant. Wednesday was Chinese. And you could just imagine, teenage boys are hungry. And every night, when, we, when the van would pull up to the dormitory where the lunchroom or the dinner room would be, everyone would pile out of that van and make a sprint to the lunchroom to get the best shawarma. You know, everyone would measure their shawarmas, see which one's the biggest, the most meat in there. And everyone would, make, would jet down there to get the best one. You'd want to be the first one. You don't want to be the last guy to get the, you know, the oily shawarma where it's, you know, it's half the size of everyone else's. So, myself included, I used to be part of this rat race. Until one day, it dawned on me. Is that God willing, after 120 you know, we all get called up to heaven for an accounting. And they ask us, you know, did you, do, did you do this honestly? Did you learn Torah? And I thought to myself, do I run to davening? Do I run to learning? Do I run to do a mitzvah as fast as I'm running to a shawarma? And as soon as I asked myself that question, I knew the answer. And after that point in time, I decided that I'm not running for a shawarma. I'll run to do a mitzvah, I'll run to learn, I'll run to daven, but not for a shawarma. Because the way, where I want my enthusiasm to be is for mitzvos, is for Hashem, is for learning. And not for something as mundane as a piece of chicken, right? And this really brings us to this idea in this week's parsha from the Chavetz Chaim. That when it comes to our Judaism, when it comes to our spiritual lives, do we have the same enthusiasm that we would have when we're eating a steak? We're going on vacation. I'm not saying you can't enjoy that steak and you shouldn't be excited if you have your favorite supper or you're wearing your favorite shirt or whatever it is. But do we at least share the, the equal, if not more, the encouragement and the satisfaction and the, the, the attitude, do we keep that same attitude when we do a mitzvah? That, we, you know, that, that we're happy about it, we're, we're doing it with, with zest and with zeal. Or do we do it you know, with, without any spirit, without any, any, any happiness? And this is a very important question we need to ask ourselves. Because when our children, when our friends see us that what makes us happy is the stake, what makes us happy is the vacation... So then subliminally, they recognize that what's important to my parents, what's important to my friends is the steak, is the vacation, is the nice car. Again, it doesn't mean we can't enjoy the physical. Judaism is all about 
taking the physical and harnessing it to, to uplift, to uplift the physical, to make it spiritual. But at the same time, what makes us excited? You know, wh- how do we do our mitzvahs? Are we doing it happily? Are we doing it with excitement? Are we doing it with zest? Are we doing it with zeal? Or are we just, just doing it to check off the boxes? To say we got it done. It's like taxes. Is it like a tax? We pay the tax, you know, it's something we're not happy about. No one's happy to pay their taxes. Or do we have that happiness, that great attitude, that enthusiasm when it comes to this? And therefore, when we do it that way, when we keep that proper positive outlook, it makes a certain priority in the minds of our friends and our family and most importantly, our children, that this is what's important to us. I'll share with you a funny story that happened to me. You know, as you know, you're listening to this podcast, I work, thank God, I'm happy, I work hard to put out Torah podcasts, to disseminate Torah in this way, and I very much enjoy doing it, and thank you for listening. My children see me do this. They know that this is something that's part of me, and they see it. My wife told me one day that the kids, you know, who had just gotten these, you know, kids' cameras, that my son, they were videotaping themselves, saying different things. And my wife saw out of the corner of her eye that my son, my young son, who's about five years old, takes the camera, turns it around towards himself, says, Hi, everybody, I'm here with my podcast. Go learn Torah and have a great day. Meaning, he was making a podcast. Similar to what I do. He sees what I do. And it's it's something in the house that he picked up on. I never said anything to him about that. And I'm happy because it's a positive thing. It's spreading Torah. It's it's um, he sees my enthusiasm for for saying over a parsha podcast. And that's something which, God willing, I hope to impart in my children that the importance of giving over Torah. And this is not something that's unique to my children. It's really, it's for your children. It's for anyone's children. And it's not just our children. It's our friends. It's our family. People pick up on what's important to us by the attitudes we have towards it. And I believe this is a very powerful lesson which we get from this week's Parsha to keep our focus on what's truly important and have that enthusiasm. Again, it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy a good steak and you can't be happy if you had a good, you know, you had a uh, if you had a good supper or you're going on a good vacation. But that shouldn't be the only place where we show our happiness, we show our enthusiasm. That could be it should be contained. And our family, friends, children should see clearly that we have that enthusiasm and happiness when it comes to Torah mitzvahs as well. The second idea I want to share with you is about the three preparations of Yaakov, of Jacob. We said earlier that Yaakov prepared to meet Esau in three different ways. Number one is he prayed. Number two is he sent gifts, sort of like a bribe or a tribute to Esau to appease him. And thirdly, he prepared for a possible war with Esau. The commentaries explain that these three preparations of Esav teach us how a Jew needs to conduct themselves in exile. Currently, we are in exile. We do not have the base on Megdash, we do not have the temple. And 
the the way that Yaakov meets Esav is the way that we need to conduct ourselves as well living in this gullus, in this exile. The first preparation and the most important is prayer. We know from last week's Parsha that Isaac, Yitzchak says, when Yaakov walks into the room to get the blessings, he says, Hakol kol Yaakov Esav. That the voice is the voice of Jacob, is the voice of Yaakov, but the hands are the hands of Esav. And the commentaries explain over there that when Yitzchak was saying that, he was saying that prayer, the voice, belongs to Yaakov. That prayer is our best weapon. That the Jewish people have this unique power of prayer. It's more than we could even realize. And the Talmud tells us that there, is, there are different things which are the most exalted things in the world spiritually and people trample on them. And one of them is prayer. You know, there's a famous joke that people say that there's a guy, he's in Brooklyn and he's looking for a parking spot. He says, God, please help me find the parking spot. There's no parking here. And as he's saying that, a car pulls out of the parking spot and he quickly pulls in. And he quickly turns to God and says, God, no thanks, I got it covered. We have to realize how powerful our prayer is. And there's two aspects of prayer. There's a part of prayer which, which are set from the sages that the Ancheknes the Hagdola, the men of the Great Assembly, set for us three prayers a day. Shachris, Mincha, and Mairev. The morning prayer, afternoon prayer, and the evening prayer. And they said it because they knew which buttons to press. That in earlier times, everyone used to pray in their own words because people knew how to pray. But as the generations got weaker, the sages felt it appropriate to have a set structure for the prayer. And they knew when they set up the prayer, which words sort of press the right buttons in heaven that could have the maximum effect for us. That's one part of prayer. There is an additional component of prayer where it's from the heart. We have to know that we can always talk to God. We can talk to Him like our father, like our friend. He always wants to hear from us. And there's a certain part of prayer that God desires those special prayers that come straight from the heart and go straight up to heaven. And we have to keep this in mind that we have a trouble. We have a, something hard coming up upon us. Speak to Hashem. Pray to Him in your own words, in English, in Chinese, in Spanish. It doesn't make a difference. Whatever you're comfortable in, it's something that a person should get used to doing. And you know, nowadays, you could talk to yourself, right? People might think, ah, if I pray to, in my own language, people think I'm crazy. Nowadays, no one will think you're crazy because we just put it Bluetooth in our ear and talk to Hashem, talk to God. And that connection that we have, that's the main essence of prayer. That we get answered, not get answered, that's not our business, that's for God to decide. Because ultimately He knows what's best for us. But the main point of prayer is the connection we have to Hashem, the connection to our Father, our King. And that itself is something that we can use to help lift the burdens off our shoulders. You know, if a person sometimes goes through a challenge, when you, after you pray, you feel like the challenge has been lifted off your shoulders. You're, you're putting it, the package, onto God's shoulders. He's there for us to do that. The second preparation of Yaakov was tributes, to send a gift to Ace of his brother. 
And the, the commentaries tell us that he sent this tremendous gift of animals and servants and many, many different things to him. And um, the lesson for us is that we have to know that gifts work to appease people. You know, I think of myself, a lot of personal stories this week. Somebody once was upset at me. And he didn't want to talk to me. I tried. Maybe he comes from that background, that culture where if someone gets wrongs you, they just cut you off. And I wasn't going to let him just do that to me. So I bought a chocolate Danish from the bakery, and I gave it to him. And guess what? He started talking to me. We were able to discuss the issues because I gave him something. It shows you're sincere. And when it comes to Jewish people living in exile, we have to, number one, always show appreciation for the government and for the, the people who protect us, right? The, the first responders, the police, the firefighters, people who serve in the army. To always have that appreciation for the Medina Shel Chesed, that's America, the, the state of, 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 of kindness that the United States of America is, for those of you who are living in the United States of America, but really any country that you live in, to have appreciation for, for the government, to have appreciation for the, for the people who protect you, and to keep that in mind, to show appreciation, to give them something. And that is another aspect of how a Jewish person lives in exile. Third preparation that Yaakov did to confront Esav was preparing for warfare. And, you know, this conversation could definitely be taken in a political way. Some people would say, oh, it's pro-gun, pro-weapon. I'm not going there. But what all I'm saying is that Yaakov took the initiative to, to physically protect himself. And the lesson for us is that, you know, I'm not getting into politics of, yes, do this, that. But the point is, is that we all believe in Hashem. We have to, we believe in God. We work on that, that bitachon, that security. But at the same time, we have to have the recognition that we need to do our hishtadlus, which is our due diligence. And for each person and each situation, it could be different. For some people, it could be one thing. For, some, for others, it could be another thing. So the main point is that whatever we're supposed to do to prepare ourselves for any situation, that is incumbent upon us to do those things. So if that means locking your door, it means locking your door. If it means doing something else to be prepared, it mean, means doing those things. And Yaakov took the necessary preparations that if all else failed, he would be prepared to do battle with his brother Esau. And that gives us a insight. These three ways are the insights for how um, we should live in the exile and God willing be protected till the final redemption speedily within our days. That's going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out, my email is rabbishlomacone with a K at gmail.com. Everyone, have a great day.